What up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to episode 129 of the Spun Today podcast. I don't know why I always say the number with so much emphasis. Or at least it feels like I'm saying with emphasis. I'm so monotone, you guys are probably like receiving it the exact same way. What the fuck is he talking about? Anyway, welcome to episode 129 of the Spun Today podcast. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz. Thank you very much for listening. In this episode, I speak about UFC 238, watching the When They See Us miniseries, the movie Us, and comedian Chris D'Elia making it onto a Logic featuring Eminem song called Homicide. And I'll tell you guys the background story to that, which is pretty hilarious. Also, if you haven't done so already, check out my new color-changing mug. There's links for it in the episode notes if you want to get your own. And links on my website at spuntoday.com forward slash affiliate links. But if you guys just want to check it out visually to see what it is, which I think it's pretty dope, uh, just go on my Instagram and check it out. My Instagram is at spuntoday. As of June 27th, 2019, it is the latest post. In case you're listening to this episode sometime in the future. But what it is, is an all-black ceramic coffee mug. And when you pour something hot in it, like coffee, for example, it changes from black to white. But, not only that, on it is imprinted the cover art for my debut novel, Fractal. Which you can only see when the mug is white. But before we officially kick off the episode, listen to a quick way that you can help support the podcast, which I'd really appreciate. If you're new to the podcast and would like to support, a cool way to do so is to sign up to my newsletter. It's a weekly newsletter called the Midday Monday Boost Letter. I send it out every Monday at noon, and it contains five things. A featured photograph of the week, podcast of the week, video of the week, quote of the week, and word of the week. If you're interested, it's completely free, and you can sign up at spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe. UFC 238 was a dope card. I was really looking forward to it, mainly because of the Tony Ferguson versus Donald Cerrone fight, which did not fully disappoint. It didn't disappoint, but I'll expound on that in a bit when I get up to that fight. And I'll leave that one for last because that was like my main event. You know what I mean? Like that's the one that I was really, really watching for. And then the two, the co-main event and the main event were both great and rightfully so for being the co-main event and main event. I'm just a fan of both Cowboy and Tony Ferguson and stylistically that matchup was just like a dream watch for a viewer. So Henry Cejudo, which was the the headline of the main event, went up against Marlon Moraes. And Henry Cejudo won in a third round TKO, becoming the bantamweight champion, as well as his already existing, his existing flyweight championship. So he's the 125 and 135 pound champion. So just to give you guys a little bit of background, if you don't know or don't remember, 
TJ Dillashaw was the 125-pound champion. TJ Dillashaw went up to... Oh, I'm sorry. <coughs> the other way around. TJ was the 135-pound champ. And he went down to 125 to face Cejudo in what many folks thought was the last 125-pound fight ever. Like the UFC was going to scrap that division for not doing too many views and not having too many popular fighters. But Henry Cejudo upset him and beat TJ uh, Dillashaw. Then it turned out that uh, TJ pissed hot and he has since been disgraced and, you know, self-admitted to taking steroids and, oh, I'm sorry, EPO. I spoke all about it in, I think, the last Random Rant episode of the podcast, if you guys want to check it out in the backlog. It's like two or three episodes ago. So he, in essence, saved uh, his division and he wanted to... Uh, grant TJ the rematch, but you know he said he wanted to like go up to 135 and face him there to so he can have the opportunity to become the champ, champ, etc., etc. Then all the steroid shit came out, and TJ pretty much vacated his title, and Henry still went up and he fought the number one contender. Well, actually, I think Marlon Moraes. I'm not sure if he was the number one contender. I guess he should have been right, unless the number one contender got hurt or something. But I could have sworn he was like number two or number three but anyway he he fought marlon moraj for the vacated title to see who would become champion at 135 and he won decisively in a uh, third round tko and he was i'd say dominating the fight up until that point if i remember correctly bear with me a bit because i'm recording this episode off memory and that fight was about two weeks ago on june 8th 2019 all i have to go by is some like bullet point notes that i jot down on my phone whenever i watch like a ufc or or have a takeaway from a movie that i anticipate to share with you guys sometime in the future on the podcast and then i fill in all the in-betweens off memory so and obviously the internet right like i'm looking at the ufc 238 scorecards right now to remember you know, the actual rounds and shit like that, that the uh, the fights end in. And you got to give it up to Henry, man. He is the, I mean, you guys know how I feel about Henry Cejudo. I'm not the biggest fan. He rubs me the wrong way. He comes off as fake. And he comes off as fake in, like, the beginning of his uh, career, like, before he fought uh, Mighty Mouse, not the beginning of his career, but the beginning of his popularity within the UFC. Before he fought Mighty Mouse uh, the first time and lost, he was, at the, I think he fought Benavidez. Well, he definitely fought Benavidez. He fought Benavidez twice, if I'm not mistaken. But it was when he was on, he was a coach on The Ultimate Fighter, um, opposite Benavidez. And he was, like, trying to portray this all-American wholesome Norman Rockwell type of image. You know, he has the um, American Olympic. He won the gold medal in 2008 for wrestling in the Summer Olympics uh, men's freestyle bantamweight division. So he is a gold medal Olympian 
and a two-division UFC champ. He was the first gold medal Olympian to be a UFC champ, and now the first to be a champ champ and gold medal Olympian. So he's a phenomenal fighter. Not taking anything away from him there. And I like his style of fighting, the way he fights. But he kept like pushing that like wholesome image, and it just came off as really fake. And then what even makes me like double down on the he rubbed me the wrong way type of thing is that now he's trying to like play the heel and trying to be like the quote-unquote bad guy and like the bad boy and it comes off as super fake as well so it's like if you're not the first henry cejudo or the second henry cejudo then who the fuck are you even on rogan's podcast which rogan has a way of of really humanizing his guests and you uh, he'll make you like something about somebody that you don't like or that you don't necessarily agree with a lot of their views on you'll see them on a different level on a different wavelength and i think that's a, a testament to joe's interviewing skills and the conversational nature of the podcast but also it's a testament to the fact that it's a you know two three hour podcast and when you're speaking for that length of, of time, your guard gets let down. And you're just you. You're, which is where I think the guests and Joe himself and, and such connect more with the audience. But even when Sahuda was on there, like he still came off. I don't know. Something's off with the dude. Uh, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm like projecting my own insecurities or some shit. But I don't know. He's just rubs me the wrong way what can i say but phenomenal fighter awesome fight and hats off to him for being the for saving a division that was about to disappear allegedly beating a tj dillashaw that was on fucking epo to the gills to the point that his heart was gonna fucking explode and he was gonna have a stroke in the middle of the ring or some shit octagon sorry and being an olympian gold medalist none of those things are a small feat by any stretch and henry soto deserves all the credit in the world for the way he fights but he definitely needs a life coach or a fucking cool coach or some shit stand him next to like fonzie for a little while because he definitely comes off as like a cornball cornball like fuck me up but a cornball nonetheless all right i digress Next up is Valentina Shevchenko. Valentina Shevchenko, who knocked out Jessica I, defending her flyweight title in the co-main event of the evening. And she knocked out Jessica I the way that Manny Pacquiao was knocked out by Marquez. Like, it was a devastating knockout and Shevchenko is just scary she gave Jessica a head kick that just knocked her out cold I haven't seen a head kick like that since the iconic Holly Holm knocking out uh, Ronda Rousey to give her her first loss head kick and she just stayed knocked out for a minute you know what I saw uh, speaking of not devastating knockouts which I didn't uh, watch the fight I heard what happened but didn't uh, uh, see it until I looked it up uh, recently a couple days ago, is the uh, Rose Namajunas knockout. 
she was uh, winning the fight against uh, Jessica Andrade by... This was in UFC 237, by the way, if you guys want to like look it up. By, in my opinion, just like outclassing her. You know, she had the movement. She had like more angles to, to her striking. And she seemed to be dominating everywhere when the fight went to the ground as well. But Jessica Andrade just like overpowered her. She's like strong as fuck. And she picked up to slam Rose. And instead of Rose like moving with the slam and uh, or like switching positions she stayed holding on to Andrade's arm to try to like transition somehow into like a Kimura it seemed like but she was in an awkward position and uh Jessica Andrade dropped her literally on her neck like it looked like her neck broke or something and just knocked her out cold with that slam and became the new uh, champion in that division, which is the uh, 115 division. And that was just a devastating knockout. Uh, but yeah, Shevchenko, just head kick knocked out Jessica I in a dope fight. And Shevchenko is a beast. She's 17 and 3. She is, she is the 125-pound champion. She came down from 135 and is the only person that I know that has gone five rounds with the scariest woman on the planet, especially after she starched and knocked out the previous to that scariest woman on the planet, Cyborg, Miss Amanda Nunes. Valentina Shevchenko went five rounds with Nunes the fucking knockout machine Nunes and stood toe to toe with her. She lost that fight. This was back uh, in 2017, but she was able to hang. You know what I mean? She was able to take Amanda to decision and give Amanda trouble. And that was two years ago. She has since improved two years worth of improvement. But then again, I'm sure Amanda has as well. Would it be interesting if them two uh, matched up, if their paths crossed again sometime in the future? But Amanda's the 135 pound champ. But since she's, you know, pretty much cleared out that division, I could see the uh, marketing wizards at uh, UFC trying to align a champ champ woman, women's division fight. And if Shevchenko keeps it up and Nunes stays active and doesn't retire. Like, I, I think I heard rumors of that she wanted to retire after, like, another fight or two. It would be pretty dope to see. Now, the last fight I'm going to speak about is the fight I was looking forward to more than any of them. And it was the third-to-last fight, a lightweight matchup between Donald Cowboy Cerrone and Tony Ferguson. Ter- Tony El Cucuy. El Cucu Cucuy. It's Kukui, but to me, I'm Dominican, so I say, like, Kuko. Tony's, I believe, Mexican, or, like, half Mexican and half something else. And they apparently call it El Kukui. What it stands for is monster. Unless El Kukui stands for something else altogether that I don't know about. But El Kuko would be the monster in Spanish. Dominican Spanish, anyway. Um, 
I was looking forward to this fight like crazy. Just stylistically, matchup-wise, uh, Cowboy is the type that he's going to stand with you. He's going to be super technical and strike with you and come forward. And he loves fighting. He enjoys fighting. You can see that he enjoys it while he's doing it. And Tony Ferguson is super athletic, super creative, strikes from all types of weird angles and throws a lot of elbows that cut from different directions his opponents always their faces get cut up and like bruised up you know noticeably more than his and more quickly he's an eddie bravo uh black belt uh 10th planet uh black uh black belt savoni's uh ground game is underrated as well so it was just like gonna be a dope matchup no matter what and it ended in a TKO victory for Tony Ferguson in round two. And it wasn't because Tony um, was knocking out or, you know, in the process of knocking out uh, Cerrone or anything like that. But he did fuck up Cerrone's face. His eye was, like, super swollen. Nose was broken. And it was almost uh, close shut, his eye, uh, which was so swollen. And in between rounds, uh, what Cerrone did was blow his nose. And you're not supposed to do that when, apparently, I learned this, you know, during, uh, after watching this fight and, and hearing Cerrone's comments and all the uh, UFC pundits, MMA pundits or whatever, uh, speaking about it, when you have like a bloody broken nose like that and your eye is swollen, if you blow your nose, like the, you release air into your eye. Instead of letting letting it out or something like that. And immediately when when he did that, his eye just swolled shut, completely shut. Like the doctors came in and they called off the fight and didn't allow him to continue fighting uh, because of that. But it seemed as the first round progressed, you know, it was head to head, back and forth, but slowly progressing in the direction of uh, Tony Ferguson. And if you just look at their faces after, you know, after the fact, uh, that shows, you know, that uh, Tony was doing more damage at the very least. So it sucks that we uh, weren't able to see that fight uh, go the distance or at least end at the hands of one of the two. Um, Something that sucked is that Tony... Definitely hit Cowboy after the bell rang for the first round. He hit him with, like, a two-piece. And it was definitely a late hit. Um, but even Cowboy said himself that it wasn't, that wasn't, like, the hit that that uh, fucked up his nose or his eye or whatever. But it, it came off, like, initially, it just came off as, like, a dirty a dirty punch. Like, the bell clearly rang. Tony was, like, in the swing of things. Uh, you know, fighters say that, you know, when they're in there, they're seeing red. They just keep going. Uh, so it's hard to just shut it off and turn it off. Um, but Cowboy was able to, you know what I mean? Like, Cowboy was defending and, and striking back. And as soon as the bell rang, he put his arms down. And Tony hit him, like, two more times in the face. Uh, so that definitely wasn't cool. It would be dope for for them to run it back. And if they do, I would say... Maybe, I don't know when Khabib and Poirier are fighting because this is that same division. 
I think it's in September, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's enough time to for both uh, Tony Ferguson and Cowboy to have training camps and just run run it back, run back a rematch, do it on that same card because the winner of Cowboy and Tony Ferguson is the number one contender, which is going to have to go up against whoever wins between Khabib and Poirier in their uh, unification bout. So that, to me, makes all the sense in the world to do. I know I definitely want to see that fight again, and it'll align Khabib uh, and Poirier on, you know, pretty much put them on the same schedule as Tony Ferguson and Cerrone in terms of giving them time to, like, rest and... Uh, you know, they're, they won't have any scheduling issues, basically, with them. They'll be able to both have the same rest time, the same fight camp time, same promotion time, etc., etc., in between fights, or after that fight, to then fight each other. And definitely not looking past Poirier, because it would be dope if Poirier won against Khabib, uh, but he's definitely the underdog, and the fight that many folks have been wanting to see, including myself for a long time, is Tony Ferguson versus Khabib. That would be sick. But yeah, that's all I got for you fine folks in terms of UFC 238. Let me know what you guys thought. Hit me up in the comments below or at me on Twitter at Spun Today or email me through my website. Next up, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about a four-part miniseries on Netflix called When They See Us. It was put together and directed by Ava DuVernay, which is the director of Selma and also a documentary called The 13th. She was also offered, I believe I have this story correct. You guys should fact check me though. I think I heard this her say this in one of her Breakfast Club interviews that she was actually offered the Black Panther movie. But she passed on it and recommended Ryan Coogler. Because even though it's this huge blockbuster, big budget movie, she felt that he'd be able to do it more justice or do it better. It wasn't necessarily in her wheelhouse and she wanted to uh, put him on. And that, to me, speaks to Ava's selflessness and the true artist in her, where she knows that the truest telling of the story, the quality, the best quality of the story is what's paramount. Not who does it, but the fact that it's done the best way that it can be done. And she is probably the best at these like social commentary type movies like Selma, or not just movies, projects, because Selma was a movie. The 13th was a documentary about the 13th Amendment and how it has a clause that I'm going to paraphrase something to the effect of slavery is outlawed, it's illegal, unless someone breaks the law and becomes a criminal. Then those folks can be treated like slaves and essentially are today, right? We have, like, slave labor, people working for 50 cents an hour for companies like Victoria's Secret and companies that make police uniforms. 
the country's military uniforms, etc., etc. A lot done with prison labor. So that that's a documentary, right, called The 13th, which you guys can check out. Also available on Netflix. When They See Us is the story of, true story of five gentlemen known as the Central Park Five. If you want to look up their stories, which I implore you to, just Google Central Park Five. And the story is about five kids in high school, ages 15 to 14 to 16, that were hanging out, that were like going to some sort of party. A bunch of kids from school met up and wound up like a shitload of them wound up getting together at uh, Central Park at night. That night, there were like a couple assaults and muggings in Central Park. And one woman was brutally beaten and raped. The cops go to Central Park off, I guess, like one of the people that got mugged or something like that. May have called the cops, I'm not sure. But the cops go to Central Park and the kids start like running away, you know, like the cops came. And it's kind of like, do you guys remember Fast and the Furious? And I remember from like back in the day going to like Flatlands and shit when I was into like that era of my life like with the car racing and shit like that when cops would come it would be like that like that scene in fast and furious that they just started yelling out cops 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 and everybody just like it shows like that aerial view and everybody's like running to their cars and they look like ants and just like speeding out of there uh that's how these kids are like just running all over the place like getting you know getting away from the cops because the cops came you know they're hanging out in a park after hours and they, uh, for the most part, make it out. A couple of them, I think, get arrested that night. And then there's, they find this, uh, the cops wind up finding this woman that's, like, fighting for her life, pretty much left for dead in the park. And she had been brutally raped and beaten. Long story short, the five children, again, ages uh, 14 to 16 are all detained overnight their parents don't know where they are they don't have attorneys or, or anything like that and the cops are you know just trying to get their wrap their heads around what the hell happened that night and running uh tests and 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 pulling dna from the victim as well as taking statements from the other victims that were like mugged and beat up and stuff and they have this room of like a couple dozen kids that they were able to gather up like in the park and they have them all in like this like classroom looking place in the precinct and there's this lady that's the head of one of the units uh, a police officer that was like hell-bent on this being like a a gang rape and they were all in on it and she's trying to like weave together this narrative even though it's not matching up, you know, based on, like, the interviews they're having with the kids and the interrogations, and none of the stories are matching up, they don't know, even know about this uh, lady that got that got uh, uh, brutally beat up and raped, and, you know, they're just scared kids at home, they know, they, uh, I'm sorry, not, not at home, and they know they're gonna get in trouble at home, um, you know, like, for not going home and shit like that, and the little high school kids. But long story short, out of, after... Actually, probably long story longer because <laughs> I'm going to keep talking about it, right? The 
a tactic that you might be familiar with from, you know, like all these shows and documentaries and stuff that have become popularized, like as of late, of like these cop shows and First 48 and, you know, murder stories and ID Discovery Channel shit. A tactic to, uh, during an interrogation is, you know, to make the suspect like hungry and tired and eventually they'll break down and tell you the quote-unquote truth but that's also a tactic used by uh, for lack of a better term dirty cops that coerce someone into giving a false confession a lot of cases that i've listened to around false confessions in in the uh, actual innocence podcast happen in just that manner like people they're they're like after you know like 16 hours of of sitting there and answering questions back and forth and not eating and just tired and you want to go home you just start agreeing with them and saying yes to whatever the hell it is that they say because you just want it to be over and that's like grown-ass men and women saying stuff like that imagine a little 14 year old kid that doesn't know what the fuck is going on and doesn't know his rights and you know the cops are literally telling them you know so uh was so-and-so there who's so-and-so you know who so-and-so is don't say you don't know who he is anymore was so-and-so there uh yeah and what was he doing i don't know don't say you don't know you know he, he was next to the woman wasn't he wasn't he on his knees that's why his, his jeans were dirty uh yeah 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 he was on his knees you know like shit like that and they got the kids to like write statements and and video record these confessions in that manner telling them the whole time you know do you want to go home we just got to finish up here and then i'll let you go home and long story short these kids didn't do it they did not brutally beat and rape this woman who she herself you know doesn't remember like she she was like so badly beaten that she was like blacked out and and couldn't like identify any of them it couldn't identify anybody period um and she had like problems walking after that and 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 speaking and she couldn't i think taste anything ever again or smell anything ever again uh something like that like she was sadly all fucked up um and these kids they didn't find any of their dna there was no physical evidence this woman was bludgeoned bloody you know, just completely all fucked up. There wasn't, like, no blood or anything on any of their hands or, or clothes or anything like that. One of them had a bruise on his face that one of the cops uh, gave him from, like, slamming him into the ground. Or I think, like, I think he punched him. And they tried to make it seem in, in, I think, photos and in the trial that that was the lady fighting back to the guy. Uh, to one of the, the kids that, that was raping her. So they had nothing on these kids except for these like coerced false confessions. The four, the way the by the way the the way the uh, this mini series came about is that one of the guys Raymond Santana reached out to Ava DuVernay in her uh, DMs. He slid into her DMs and told and pretty much like pitched the story to her, and she said she would be honored to to tell it, um, but she only wanted to tell it if it was with the blessing of all the all the actual guys. And if they were a big part of it, because she wanted it to be as authentic as possible. And they did, you know, they, 
they she met with all of them they were on set all the time they met the actors that were going to be playing them when they were kids and when they were older and it was just so like tastefully and like beautifully done like as a as a process of storytelling and delivering this like extremely important piece of uh social commentary on our criminal justice system to hopefully spur some criminal criminal justice reform and to spread awareness on what some folks actually do go through and are going through in this country right now and to spread awareness as far as your rights as far as not making sure that you speak to to your children about it and making sure that you yourself know about the fact that you don't, if you're ever caught up in some sort of situation like this, you ask for an attorney right away. You don't speak to the cops about anything. They, you have to understand, for better or for worse, whether they're good cops or bad cops is uh, is the secondary to the fact that they are incentivized by closing cases, right? Think of, think of your job, whatever it is that you do. You have certain tasks, certain reports, certain widgets, whatever it is that you do quotas that you have to meet for cops same deal this is their job open case is bad closed case is good that to me is a negative thing when incentives are aligned with personal benefit in a situation of what's supposed to be quote-unquote blind justice you're gonna have situations like this one and it's not to say that the whole system is shit because i'm sure it works more than it doesn't but it can definitely use improvement, obviously, to bridge the gap between the times that stuff like this doesn't happen and things do work out the correct way and the times that they don't. So the guys wind up going to jail, the kids, four of them go to juvie, and one of them, that 16, gets fucked the worst and goes directly into adult prison, adult jail. And he's actually the one in the story that he was, uh, the cops were after the incident the next day when they had like a bunch of kids like, like locked up, they were canvassing a neighborhood based on names that the, like the, the guys that they had in custody had given them like, Oh, who are you with in the park? Who are your friends' names? Like stuff like that. They compiled this list and they were looking for certain kids and the fifth kid Corey wise which wound up going to adult prison and getting fucked the worst out of everybody um he wasn't even on the list but he was hanging out with his friend that was on the list his friend uh yusuf and the way they tell it in the miniseries is that uh the cops were taking away yusuf and and uh Corey could have just like walked away and the cops were like you want to come too? you want to you want to accompany your buddy go, go home get out of here and and then Corey was like no no I'll, I'll i'll go with him actually and wound up going with him and he got roped into you know this whole conspiracy theory and i don't mean it in the popularized like conspiratorial sense i just mean it in this theory that was conspired by all the parties that were ultimately involved from the cops that worked on coercing the confessions to the head of that department uh, that spearheaded this whole thing, that lady, 
to the jurors, to the prosecuting attorney, to the judge. Everyone up and down. That in hindsight conspired. Willingly, unwillingly, knowingly or not. But did so through this broken system. And the kids wound up, the guys wound up doing, I believe, hmm, I want to say seven or eight years or something like that. And then by the time all four were able to get out, and then Corey Wise, the fifth one, he spent the most, he spent about 10 or 12 years locked up before he got out. The way, spoiler alert, by the way, the way he winds up getting out is that I believe all the other guys like just served out their time. Like that was how much time they were given, I believe, but I'm not positive. Actually, yeah, it had to be that, right? Because it didn't, they were out when they finally got exonerated. But the the reason uh, Corey got out, uh, the last one uh, to get out was because the guy that actually did commit the assault and murder confessed to the crime. When they re-ran like, the DNA evidence and everything, it was his DNA all over the lady. He detailed exactly uh, how he did it, how he carried out the crimes. Everything matched up to the crime scene and to the victim's uh, wounds and all that. And then... They still try to keep everybody locked up and just say, oh, no, this was just the sixth guy that was involved. And it's just sad how people even operate that way. People, and we all do this, I think, you know, obviously to a much lesser extent, but like double down on something when you know you're wrong or you really want to be right about something. That's all ego. And that's... It's important to check that when you see it in yourself. If not, you wind up even to like extreme situations like this one. This lady gave into that. She didn't want to be wrong. She still to this day holds that they were involved, that the five guys were involved. They're completely exonerated, out of prison, cases dropped, vindicated, awarded like $40 million or, or something like that. For all of them to like split up, all five of them to split up uh, amongst themselves, which isn't enough if you ask me, but it's something. And by the way, I have not gotten an official apology from the city of New York, but it's just so sad, man. It was just, again, a four-part miniseries, super tastefully done. The actors are great. You want to scream throughout it. You want to cry throughout it. You want to jump for joy at the end throughout it uh about it but at the same time still break down and cry for the fact that these dudes had to like go through that shit and their families the struggles that the entire family had to go through michael k williams acted in it shout out to my man omar shout out to my man chalky white definitely check it out man it's a mini series called when they see us available on netflix and i really think that stories like this are important to tell repeat share speak about what resonated with you listen to others when they're speaking about it keep stories like this in the zeitgeist of our world and in time hopefully perceptions change 
systems get amended and we find betterment in our outcomes. This is a great interview that Oprah does where she has like the real guys and she has uh, all the guys that played them as adults and as kids uh, in the movie. Which, by the way, the guy that played, his name is uh, Jarrell Jerome. He was the only actor that was able to play the child version, like the 16-year-old, and the adult version of Corey Wise, which was dope just like in terms of like range as an actor. That had to be hard as shit to pull off. And he did, and he did a phenomenal job. He was believable on both sides of that role. So shout out to him. So I was speaking about it in an interview and saying that, um, like, when he read the script, he, he wanted to play that role, and he called for it, and he wound up reading for it, and he really, really wanted it. They didn't cast him right away, and um, he had uh, a prior engagement, and he was under contract, so he couldn't shave his beard. And, uh, but he, you know, he read for the role of the kid anyway, but Ava DuVernay, like, she said that she didn't, like, really see it because he you know just looked like a grown-ass man not like a 15 16 year old and um the day he rapped on that uh other engagement he wound up flying to new york and going straight to david duvernay you know he shaved and he he reread as the kid and he wound up getting the role and uh wound up getting the role for the adult version as well and like i said it's, it's dope um check out that interview also with oprah it's uh it's a pretty deep one and a good one to see that accompanies this masterful miniseries. Again, called When They See Us. Available on Netflix, and I'll link to it in the episode notes, as always. Next up is the movie Us by Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele's sophomore directorial performance, at least as far as I know. After the movie Get Out, he follows it up with one that was incredible in its own right. I won't say it was as dope as Get Out. I think Get Out is really, really dope. This one was just dope. And that's on a scale from dope to dope, dope, dope. Nah, let me stop. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good movie. And it's definitely the type that I would have to rewatch. And I'm sure I'm going to get... M- more from it when i do rewatch it as most folks said they you know it's a movie that they saw like two or three times and each time they got like different layers of it i'm sure that would be my experience when i watch it again jordan peele's movies are are so dope i feel because i i feel like he like carved out like his own niche like his own lane like he's so far i can't wait till he comes his third movie because like, with the first, like, the third will seal it for me with what I'm about to say. But the, like, the first two have me at a place where I think I can see the, a third movie without knowing who directed it and say, oh, wait, that's a Jordan Peele movie. Just, like, the feel and the vibe of it. The closest director that I can say gets me to that point where where I feel I can, like, pick his movies out of a blind lineup would be Quentin Tarantino. But Jordan Peele carved out this, like, he's it's classified as horror movies, right? But to me, they're like social commentary slash 
suspenseful thriller horror movies. And I love the social commentary and the layers of it. I think I should name this episode of the podcast the Social Commentary Podcast. <laughs> I think I've said that like 19 times now during this episode. So, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, then fast forward this. But the story is about how we all have, all us human beings have doppelgangers of ourselves that live in the lower. And we're in the upper. So it's, there's like this uh, like cla- classism undertone, like upper class, lower class. Um, and everything that we do, our doppelgangers, like our twins of ourselves, our quote unquote sh- shadows mimic what we do. But with like whatever they have at their disposal, like if you go out to eat, all they had to eat were rabbits raw rabbits so if you're like on a date with someone at mickey d's or at a fine steak fucking peter luger's or something like that morton's and eating your doppelganger is doing the same thing same thing sitting down eating but a fucking raw rabbit it's like some weird wild shit like that but anyway they're pretty much mimicking you and this little girl one day goes to, she's like in this carnival, like this Coney Island type shit, like a rundown kind of carnival. And, you know, wanders off into this house of mirrors and she's like isolated and alone and winds up seeing herself in the mirror. But then realizes that it's not a reflection and it's like another one of her. Long story short, we find out that the little girl, the doppelganger, switched places with her upper-class doppelganger. So, the little girl that grew up in the upper was really the girl that belonged in the lower, and vice versa. I wanted to speak, uh, mention that specifically, and speak, expound a little bit on that, because it's what, like, stood out, one of the things that stood out uh, most to me in the movie, and it's that Adelaide which is the girl's name, if I'm not mistaken, and Red, which was her doppelganger's name, they switched. And Red, in essence, became quote-unquote normal and, you know, able to function in the upper. You know, they, they had a loving family, and she was married, had two kids. Adelaide wound up assimilating to her environment and pretty much becoming a monster. And you see that side of her when, you know, she comes up to, like, reclaim shit kind of um and i thought that was interesting i thought that spoke to our ability as people to assimilate to our surroundings and not just our ability to but how much we're conditioned by our surroundings and how much nature versus nurture how much nature affects our development as people and if you think about things that i've spoken about in the past on this podcast with like something that stands out right now first to mind is the the podcast where i spoke about uh, nipsey hustle passing and how he grew up in an environment where all that was around him was gangs and, and gang violence and he grew up in that you know generational 
gang culture that and he was a product of his environment and i think that this switch between adelaide and red depicts that it depicts how malleable we are as humans and how our nature obviously is there and is always bedrock but our nurture our environment plays just as critical and monumental a role in our development and i thought that was a really interesting takeaway at least for me in the movie and it was an entertaining watch i recommend it to you folks i am definitely gonna watch it again and there's tons of videos and and like theories online on you know what everything means and and some folks did uh pretty good breakdowns of like easter eggs in the movie and and um you guys can just like google that and i'm sure you find a whole bunch but i definitely gotta check it out again all right and last but not least i am going to wrap up with a mention of chris d'elia which is a comic if you guys don't know who chris d'elia is he's a pretty funny comic i he's a comic that whose stand-up i've seen i like some of his stuff and um but i like his personality like uh, i've heard him on a bunch of different uh podcasts and i like him as a podcast guest more than his stand-up comedy i guess you can say but about um a year less than a year ago he uh, i don't know if you guys remember it was when eminem did the uh, bet cipher and it was it was a cipher that was or freestyle that was uh not well received you know it's like eminem on bet and and it's like at the height of you know trump bashing right when that's like you know bubbling over and you uh you think m's gonna kill it you know i'm the worst to ask about like eminem because i you know would say everything is he does is awesome but it wasn't his best work i'd say that <laughs> and anyway how crystalia factors in after after that cipher and you know it was you know a lot of people trashing it online and stuff like that um crystalia put out this himself mimicking eminem rapping during that cipher and it's just fucking hilarious and he wound up doing like a couple clips of it afterwards uh the first one wound up going viral and got over like two million views on youtube if you can you can check it out right now i'll link to it in the episode notes also for you guys to check out let me let me let me play one for you guys actually let me drop it in hold on a second and he does it he's like saying words but not really he's saying like some words but he's more so just like making sounds and like trying to like mimic how like robotic eminem could sound sometimes and and just like rhyming shit for the sake of rhyming shit it's fucking hilarious here it is of course i'm on torrent i'm driving a porsche over the floorboards over the Four points while you're in the four tours, getting an abortion and a divorce at the same time to hear us affording. Look what I'm planning, planning. I'm planning to do all this while you're panicking and you're looking and staring at mannequins. And I'm going to fanikins trying to get up a planikins. All of the planikins, fan, fan, panikins. 
What on a band of Kazana Kanana in the cabana? You're in a cab I'm in a cabana in the Janet. I'm in a cabana chanting on a stand up banner. Well, you don't got the stamina, you're lacking the stamina. You're lacking the stamina while you're divorcing Harrison Ford and I'm in a portion of floor ports. While I'm all torrent. You're using way too many napkins. Papkins. Lapkins is Japkin. You're using chapstick and napkins while I'm papkin. Flapping around like a papkin. Flamming a babbity pan of champion, damn a can of pity And and if you see the video, it's 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 hilarious because he's just like in his car, like it looks like he's just like at a red light or some shit, or like parked in his car, and just talking into his cell phone, and doing that, and and kind of sounded like that during the BT cipher. Then. After, like, the popularity of it, he winds up doing another one where he's, like, standing up and he does, like, he's wearing a hoodie like Eminem wears and he's doing, like, the pacing the way Eminem was doing it during the cypher and um, the heavy breathing. The Eminem was, like, heavily breathing, like, during the cypher. Like, I don't know if he had, like, bad breath control or, or some shit like that, like, during it or the mics were just, like, picking up extra. But he was, like, heavy <laughs> breathing during it. Let me play you guys that one real quick. It's like 50 seconds on. Well, I'm lounging on Pinterest, fucking your mistress. I'm playing in a hand trick with Danica Patrick. I'm seeing an accent. Nick Cannon's fantastic. Designs and foxes, designs and foxes, while I'm listening to the locks. A whole bunch of boxes. He's like pacing. Right in my garage with a bunch of large cars inside of the porch. He's like pacing around the garage with a bunch of boxes in it. A bunch of my cars in a large garage, swerving, swerving in an emergency lane with cars from New Jersey. Yeah, that shit's just hilarious. He had like 2 million views on the first one, 1.7 million views on that second one. He has another one with like 300,000 views, another one with like 800,000 views. He just, it went viral, right? So anyway, I say all that to say that um, the Eminem did a song, uh, is featured on a, on a song by Logic called Homicide. Which is like insanely lyrical. Logic is like the the Eminem of this generation in terms of lyricism, I would say. Well, in terms of... Actually, I don't want to say that. He is... I think it's easy to say that just because he's like... He looks white also, even though he's like half white, half black, but he looks like a white boy. Um, and can rap. But he's similar to Eminem in terms of cadence a little bit and his his ability to put words together and his speed at times and he is very lyrical but yeah it was it was a dope a dope matchup um on a track and so it's logic featuring eminem and then at the end of the song they wind up featuring a clip of crystalia of this of this um what I just played you guys, the Blanagan, 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 
<laughs> like that shit. Like it's on the actual song. Um which must have been dope for Chris and I even like heard Chris like speak about it in interviews afterwards that like he didn't know about it and um it was dope for him to hear and it's cool to see that M has that sense of humor. Like people people are like shitting on M saying, Oh, you're trying to be cool, you you're trying to like you know, he played you and you're trying to be act like you're cool with it or something like that but it's like no he is obviously cool with it and he has a sense of humor which is why he put it on track like it's not like a ploy you know what i mean like you didn't have to do that and it's just uh i think it's pretty dope and it's a testament to him's uh, sense of humor and um which is dope to see like two of my worlds you know i'm a huge eminem fan and a big uh comedy fan and I know what Chris Dilley is, and I, you know, he, you know, he's in that like Rogan circle of comics. And for those like two worlds to like collide was uh, pretty cool for me to see. And and they say like folks like Royce the Five Nine and and other like folks that like, close to him say that he like he's very he knows the pulse of the culture. Like he has his, his thumb on the pulse of the culture. Like he knows what's going on. He's like hip to, to shave, even though he's kind of like a recluse. And, you know, he's not like, a like somebody who's not in the know and stuff like this, like show that, you know what I mean? And I just thought that was pretty cool. So wanted to share it with you folks. And that is all I got for you. That is episode 129 of the Spun Today podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate the fuck out of you guys listening to my show. If you want to help support the podcast, I'd say stick around, listen to the song playing in the background, enjoy it for a bit, and then I'm going to play you guys a myriad of ways that you can help support the podcast. And don't forget, check out my new color-changing mug, which features the cover art of my debut novel, which you guys should also pick up. I'm actually going to be doing another promotion soon, probably in the first or second week of July. I'll try to aim it for uh, where I'm going to discount the the book from the di- digital copy from the two dollars and ninety nine cents price point to ninety nine cents for you guys to check out at a discount if interested. It's called Fractal, and you can get more details on it at spontaneity.com forward slash books. Hey, folks, I'm out. What you want and what you will, working for your dollar bill. Sad to see the old slave mill is grinding slow but grinding still. Walking home, a youth gets killed. Police free to shoot at will. Sad to see the old slave mill is grinding slow but grinding still. Nine to five, you know the drill. Weekends are a sharply thrill. Sad to see the old slave mill is grinding slow but grinding still. Cop run that over till it's filled. Take until they've had their fill. Sad to see the old slave mill is grinding slow but grinding Some of us think we're too big. God's system gives us jobs, even though it's just a low-paying gig. Some of us will boast and brag, and those of us who think we're smart, just because we don't have much, it's really not the case at all. It's riches that the flesh can't touch. Some of us won't respect names. 
Some of us don't respect laws. Some of us don't respect life. Even though we worship God. And some of us won't let go faith. No matter what the price may cost. Some of us won't practice hate. Because we still believe in love. What you want and what you will. Working for a dollar bill. Sad to see the old slave mill is grinding slow but grinding still. Walking home, a child gets killed. Neighbors free to shoot at will. Hurts to see the old slave mill is grinding slow but grinding still. Nine to five, we know the drill. Weekend such a short lived thrill. Sad to see the old slave mill is grinding slow but grinding Would you like to receive a short email from me once a week? You know that feeling you have on a Monday at work when you have absolutely nothing to look forward to except for lunch? Have no fear, the Midday Monday Boost Letter is here. In this short weekly newsletter, you will receive five things. One is a photograph of the week from a photographer, a podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts, dozens and dozens of podcasts, hundreds of episodes, and I cherry pick the best ones and I share them with you here. You'll also receive a video of the week, which could be anything from a rap battle to a TED talk. You receive a quote of the week, something to let marinate in your mind, and a word of the week so that you and I can both step up our vocab. So if any of that sounds of interest to you, check it out. Check out the subscribe page at spuntray.com forward slash subscribe. Drop in your email address and you'll receive the very next one. For any writers or creatives out there, I have a questionnaire. It's a five question questionnaire that anyone is free to fill out. It's located at spuntray.com forward slash questionnaire. And what it is, is five open-ended questions related to your craft. It's things like what inspires you to write or create whenever you don't feel the inspiration to do so. What are your favorite apps or tools or tricks to trick yourself into getting into the mind state of actually creating what inspires you etc etc stuff like that and what i do with your responses is share them on a future episode of the podcast now you can choose to remain anonymous if you choose to you have that option right there when you fill out the questionnaire and if you do not choose to remain anonymous i give you a shout out on the podcast and promote for free whatever it is that you have going on So I appreciate you in advance for sharing that with me, as well as the rest of the listeners of the Sponsor Day podcast, which would stand to gain from you filling out the questionnaire. Now, you can help support the podcast in a myriad of ways. One way which does not cost you anything and is most popular within the podcasting community is by shopping on Amazon using my affiliate links banner. So the way that works is you go to Sponsor.com forward slash affiliate links or just click on the affiliate links tab at the top center of the page and there you will see a banner for amazon you literally just click on that and it takes you to amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do it does not cost you anything extra but amazon will give me a kickback just for driving traffic to their website so that would be a big help it literally costs you nothing extra financially just costs you a couple of extra clicks of your mouse before you do your amazon shopping The iTunes banner that's on that same page works the same way. So if you're purchasing music or movies or whatever it is on iTunes, feel free to go through my affiliate link portal there as well. 
if you want to make a one-time uh, PayPal donation, feel free to do so. There's a PayPal donation button on there as well. Within that same tab, you'll also find a link to the Spun Today Viral Style Store. Now, the Viral Style Store is a store where you can get Spun Today merch, whether it's a coffee mug or a t-shirt that I personally designed. And spoiler alert, I'm no, I'm no Ralph Lauren or you know whoever designs Gucci stuff. <laughs> but I did create the design of those shirts myself. I have a couple t-shirts on there. One that says, for example, right need every day which is a playoff of snoop dre and nate dogs smoke weed every day so it's right need every day with like a puff cloud of smoke behind it i have a podcast versus everybody t-shirt and uh just stuff like that so check it out the link to the viral style store is also there you can also help support the podcast on a reoccurring basis if you become a patreon supporter now, Patreon is pretty cool, and it there's a little um, video explanation of what it is and how it works, but I'll try to do my best to summarize it here. Basically, you sign on to Patreon, which is a free service for your account, and you can support not just myself, but any other uh, podcasters or creatives that also have Patreon pages. And you can choose to, for example donate a dollar to them on a per episode basis so the spun today podcast has two uh, episodes a month so if you donate a dollar to it it'll be two dollars a month basically and you set it up and it just happens automatically on a reoccurring basis there are zero fees you can cancel at any time no hassle no bullshit and it's uh it's a cool way to help support and is much appreciated and also it's not just like a for example uh, a PayPal donation, which is just that. But through Patreon, it allows the creator, in this case being myself, to set up a reward system, if you will. So if you donate a dollar per episode, you are considered a tier one supporter. If you donate $3 per episode, you are a second tier supporter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it goes up to four tiers. And each tier gets different things, like... Uh, tier one gets a free spun today bookmark and a shout out on the podcast tier three gets uh gets those two things from tier one as well as a free writing piece that's not posted on on my website or available to anyone else etc etc so check that out if you will and uh, visit my patreon page at patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash spun today Another great, amazing way to help support the podcast is to rate and review it. This costs you absolutely nothing. Whether you listen on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, on Pocket Casts, on Overcast, on Player FM, on Google Play, on YouTube, on Tumblr, or if you listen on Podbay or any other of your favorite podcast apps. Please rate and review the episode. It really is the number one way to help the show gain traction, gain exposure. You know, you could also share it with friends or family and tell them, you know, check out what this idiot is saying. Some of it is actually pretty good or it all fucking sucks and you should listen and laugh. But as long as you're listening, <laughs> it would be much appreciated. So rate and review the podcast wherever it is that you listen. Follow me on Twitter or on Instagram at Spun Today. 
like the Facebook fan page at facebook.com forward slash spun today. Subscribe to my YouTube page as well. All podcast episodes are available on YouTube as well as clipped versions. For example, with the random rant episodes, you know, I speak about a bunch of different topics instead of having the full episode alone, which is also available on YouTube. But you also have snippets of the different topics broken up into more digestible chunks. So check that out. You can also support by checking out my book, Make Way For You, Tips For Getting Out Of Your Own Way. It's a quick, short read if you're looking for some inspiration and motivation. And you can find out more about it at spuntray.com forward slash books. There you'll find a video of me telling you all how the book came to fruition, as well as a couple of audio excerpts. If you're interested, you can purchase it wherever books are sold. Kindle, iBooks, Kobo, an ebook or paperback format, which you can find on Amazon. Also, for being a Spun Today listener, I can also send you a free copy right there on that same landing page at sponsor.com forward slash books. Drop in your email address at the bottom of the page and I'll shoot you over a copy in the format of your choice. And that's all I got, folks. Thanks again for checking out this episode. And as always, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.